This is the Learning Curve Podcast, and I'm Pastor Scott Rambo. Welcome to the classroom. Let's dive into the Word of God and see what He has to say to us today. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 21 through 24. This is a... This is a what I like to call appointed learning. Uh, one of one of the callings of a minister or a pastor is to use uh, to use times like death to teach on death, um, because that's that's what's all in the form the the foremost of our mind right now. Uh, preparing for Brother Matt and uh, and his going away party, like we're going to call it. Um, we're going to take the time to see what the Lord says about about death and and specifically how how it impacts the Christian and how our mind is supposed to be about it. Which this shouldn't be new information, but it's needed information. It's good to go over things like this because I do believe that it helps in comfort for the grieving. Um, j- just to know where our where our true peace lies. Believe it or not, folks, our true peace lies in our death. Uh, our joy, one of one of the greatest joys of salvation is that when we die, we live, right? And that's exactly what Paul is about to say right here. And very familiar verse, like uh, Philippians 1 and 21, we could probably all quote it. So we'll go ahead and read and we'll pray and we'll get started. Philippians 1 verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is a gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. Paul isn't mixing words here. Verse thirty uh, or, uh, 23. <clears throat> but I am hard-pressed from both directions. All right, this is going to make sense. I am hard-pressed... From both directions, having the desire to depart, to be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So, we're going to read that again. I can't help but comment on some of this thing. I love the way Paul writes. I really do. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Lord, we thank you for yet again another time that we can gather together, Lord, as the body of Christ and to learn of your word. Lord, help us to... Uh, to understand, Lord, seasons like this, times like this, Lord, that even in death, you're sovereign. Lord, in days like this, Lord, you're merciful and you're graceful and your love is ever before us. Lord, we thank you, we honor you, and we praise you for this. Amen. Amen. So we tend to uh, avoid talking about or even thinking about death as humans. Um, especially if you can think back before salvation. For some of us, that's been a very long time, praise God. For others, it hasn't been as long. 
but before salvation, death was terrifying, right? You, you hear some of my testimony as a kid growing up in church hearing the truth that if I was to die and not be covered by Christ, it's a terrifying thought. I would, I would dread some nights laying on my pillow like, please, God, let me make it another day, right? Even praying that, that fruitless prayer, you know, worldly sorrow, not godly sorrow. Lord, forgive me for what I did today. Lord, help me to make it to, to tomorrow. And Oh, and by the way, I don't really want you as Lord, right? That's what I was really saying. But, but for this world, death is the biggest enemy that we have. So much so that Satan doesn't even have to terrify us with death. He just puts death before us and we terrify ourselves. Because what death means to an unsaved individual is that's the final end. Especially you take an atheist who doesn't believe in an afterlife, they fear death. Why? Because there's nothing else after that. I only have the time that I have here and then I'm worm food. Right? It's called annihilationism. We'll talk about it in a minute. It's, it's not biblical. We have an afterlife. You go on living one way or the other. Right? And even as a saved individual, it's still hard to talk about death the same way it's hard to talk about heaven because we know as Christians, death, it's, it's an eternal thing. We're dead forever, right? We don't come back, right? There's no reincarnation. There's, there's no zombie, like zombies or movies. That's not, a, that's not a true thing. We're dead until the day of the Lord when he resurrects us and we still don't walk around here, we go to be with him, right? If to us in this world, death means just that. That's the end of that person's physical life, right? Spiritually, we understand that that's the mere beginning and that is what our hope is. But we don't want to talk about it because nobody's went, made it to the other side of death and come back. Except for one person, Christ, right? Well, and Lazarus, but he died. He's dead. His body lays wherever his body lays. His soul is with the Lord to be resurrected in, in that day. That's something crazy to think about. Could you imagine being Lazarus and you die and then all of a sudden you're back and then you die again? Death came to that man. He, he's not with us today. Lazarus died a second time and he'll be resurrected again. It's craziness. But we don't talk about death because I don't know, I don't really know what lies on the other side other than what the Bible has told us, right? I haven't been there. It's hard for me to talk about it. Same thing as heaven. Like we talk about heaven, what heaven means to me, what heaven means to you, what the joys and the glory of heaven, Christ being standing before your God face to face, being able to uphold it. All that sounds great. But if you really stop and think about it, it terrifies you because it, that's forever. I don't understand that, right? So we tend to avoid talking or thinking about it, but it's something that the Christians should think about. We should think about death. Why? Because if the powers that be in this world use death as a means of a scare tactic, what better ammunition do we have as a Christian than to take that like the Bible says, death has no sting for us anymore. Why? Because it, that's not the end. Well, if here, I, I say we're living in a heaven here. This is a beautiful, earth is beautiful. But 
if it is more beautiful in heaven, who wouldn't want to go? Absolutely. You know, it's, it's just amazing because earth <clears throat> is beautiful. You look out at the trees and everything. He gave us a, a paradise to live in. That's right. Sometimes I said, Lord, I'd like to go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sound a lot like Paul. That's what—that's literally what Paul is saying here. He's, he's hard-pressed. He's torn between both directions. I want to be with God, but I also understand that I have a work to do. And as long as I have a work to do, I'm going to be here. But then I'll be with my Lord. That, that's never taken from us. We will be with our Lord. Now the time, that's for the Lord to decide. So... We don't talk about death unless it's absolutely necessary. That's why we're having this lesson today, because we're thinking about death. So we get taught about death, because while we're thinking about death, I want to make sure that we stay biblical about it. Okay? We're going to hear a lot of things for the last, in the next week, a lot of things about death. But let's, let's remember the biblical thing about it. Uh, when author William <coughs> Sarhan uh, was within days of his own death from cancer in 1981, uh, he issued this statement in the Associated Press. This is what he said. Everybody has got to die, but I have always believed an exemption would be made in my case. Right? And that's, listen, that's every one of our thoughts, especially when we're younger. As we're older, we, we understand, but man, when I was a teenager... I was never going to die. You know what I mean? Like, that only scared me when I was alone with my thoughts and God was working on me and conviction was about my life, right? But whenever I was out and about, I'd done some stupid things, Brother Gene, that should have killed me a hundred times over. I, would, I didn't think about that. When I, I know as a nurse, you've seen a lot of those stupid things come through the ER and come through the hospital that should have killed people. And, and you know, bless God's blessings they just broke an arm or they broke a leg or we don't think about death like we should uh, he finished that statement by saying now what I'm about to die now what that exemption is is it for me I'm gonna die he's faced with death now he has to talk think about it no doubt he was saying this in tongue-in-cheek you know no matter what I think, ultimately we all know there's something in us that tells us death is a real thing. Death is a real thing. I want to live forever, but I know I'm not. Right? But that's how most of us think. You know, somehow an exemption is going to be made in my case. How many times have we even said it ignorantly? Well, I'm, the rapture is going to take me out of here. I pray it does. You know, I pray the Lord comes back in my lifetime. I'm just like every one of the other church fathers that thought the Lord was going to come back in their lifetime. Wouldn't it be great for God to show his face in this lifetime? Chances are you're going to go by the grave. Why? We have uh, thousands and thousands of years of history to show a lot of us go by the grave, right? I look for this. I look and I hope for the Lord but whether by the grave or by the rapture, our hope is the same. That's what we're going to see here. It's inescapable. We talk about death because we don't escape it. But as has been often 
stated, a person is not ready to live unless he's ready to die. That's, that's getting more of a biblical statement. And to be honest with you, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, that could be two separate studies. To live as Christ, tonight we're talking to die as gain. But they're not decoupled from each other, they're the same. All right? To live properly, we must live purposefully. It's funny how all this coincides, right? Last week we were talking about our purpose and our calling. And, and, and to live is Christ is very much a purpose-driven life. It's driven by the Spirit that's in us. I'm molded. I'm directed. I'm made into the image of the Son. It's purposed in my life to do that. Don't forget that your death is purposed as well. Nothing is done outside of the hand of God. As a believer, as an unbeliever, as a part of this world, as a part of the church, your life, your existence, your death, all part of God's plan. To live properly, to live purposefully, always is to view both the certainty of death and the uncertainty of when it will occur. None of us know when we're going to die, right? Even if we're diagnosed with a sickness, that doesn't come with an expiration date. It, it comes with an educated best guess. But we ultimately do not know until that day comes. Many of the great Christians of the past um, thought often about death. Martin Luther said, even in the best of health, we should have death always before our eyes so that we will not ex uh, expect to remain on the earth forever. But we will have one foot in the air, so to speak. Always be looking for home right? We're not going to be here forever. Jonathan Edwards, as a young man, wrote down 70 resolutions. Uh, they're great. If you haven't read them, you should. Jonathan Edwards' resolutions, he wrote 70 of them, which he read weekly to help <clears throat> keep his life focused. Number nine was this, I resolved to think much on all occasions of my dying and of the common circumstance which attends death. So number nine on his list of 70 was to think about my death. Because what does this do for a Christian? If I know that I have an end point, then I know that my time is short. Sounds a lot like Christ, right? Whenever he would tell his disciples, I must needs go by Samaria. I'm, I, we have to do this. God, uh, fa the Father is calling me here. My time is short, right? He said it over and over and over again because... Yes, he's God and he's eternal, but as Christ, the cross is coming. He's, he's going to die, right? And he knew that. And he knew that he had a purpose and he had a call about his life and had a ministry to do. So you can look through all the Gospels and the, the death of Christ is at the very beginning of every Gospel. It's all the way through the Gospel. It's at the end of the Gospel. He thought about his death regularly because that's what drove him. He said, he told Pilate, right, we just got through with all this. He told Pilate, this is the reason that I was born. This is the reason I was here, to die, right? We need to think about it. <clears throat> the 
The Puritan preacher Richard Baxter, uh, who lived with chronic bodily illness, said this, I preach as though I ne'er should preach again, and as a dying man to dying men. So he had an illness. He knew eventually it was going to take his life. But he also knew spiritually that we're all dead and we need to be resurrected. But physically, we're all dying. And if we don't come to Christ before that day, we have serious problems. So that's why he preached. That's what drove him was death. Because of the, because of the thought of death, we live. You say, well, that doesn't, that doesn't really make sense, but it, it does. If you know that you have a call upon your life and you have a purpose for your life, which is what? To glorify, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, right? I pointed at them because y'all were here last week, but we should all know that. Westminster uh, uh, Catechism question number one. If that's my purpose and I know that I have a short time to do it, which is my lifetime, then that drives my life, right? I live out my purpose through my calling because I know I don't have a day to waste. I have, I have to do this. Because if I don't do this, I've wasted a day and I don't get those back, right? If someone who thinks they're going to live forever, it doesn't matter what I do today. I'll just have to, I got tomorrow to do it. I have tomorrow to do it. I have tomorrow to do it. Well, eventually tomorrow doesn't come. And then you've wasted a life and you haven't fulfilled your calling. You haven't fulfilled a purpose. So for the life of a Christian, that's part of our driving force that this spirit that's within us is he drives us to to do what we're called to do because we have today to work. Work while it is what yet day because there's coming a time where there's coming a night where we're not able to work. It's this this looming death that the world says, I don't understand how you can think about that every day and remain sane. Well, for a Christian, we don't do what the world says. We operate the opposite of how the world operates. It is because of death that we live. Same thing that, uh, that Paul says here. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To die is gain. You cannot live the Christian life properly unless you understand the Christian's perspective on death. If you fear death, you have the wrong view of death. Now, that's not to say that we don't grieve in death because Lord knows we do. That's not to say that we don't worry about death because Lord knows that we do. But you shouldn't fear death. You shouldn't fear death, especially for a Christian. Because for a Christian, death has to happen. First, spiritually, you're dead and you're resurrected. You're brought into life, right? So there's life that happens. But we have to shed this physical body to be present with our Lord. Has to happen. Our view of death must be based on the truthfulness of God's revelation to us in His Word, not on the speculations of people, especially those devoid of God's Word. It doesn't really matter what we say. If we can't line it up with the Word of God, it's not truth, right? One of those things you hear all the time, well, well, poor, you know, poor Uncle Joe or, or Dad or, you know, they, they died the other day and, you know, they're, 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 uh, he received his wings, you know. We don't become angels. 
We know that. We're creatures and angels are creatures, but we're two different creatures. Nowhere in the Word of God does it say that a human becomes an angel just as an angel doesn't become a human. We, we don't receive wings. I'm sorry, you're not going to fly in heaven. You're going to be with your Lord, and that's perfectly fine with me. I don't need to fly. I haven't flew my whole life. I'm sure it'll be fine that I don't fly in my afterlife, right? Other than a plane. You know what I mean. We're not Superman, and that's okay. It's all right. But it's things like that that bring comfort for a while. Like, well, you know, Grandpa's looking through the windows and the floors of heaven at us. Nope, not in the Bible. I'm sorry. He, to be honest with you, they, they can't see us. Because if they could, they'd be sorrowful. Because we're still here. We're still in the middle of the sin. They've been perfected. They, they've been glorified. They're perfect now before their perfect Lord. They don't care about anything other than what they're seeing right now. We'll be with them again, praise God, but they don't miss us. Yeah. That's exactly right. No. I, when I was doing the Great Share Ministry, that was a big thing that came out in it was, you know, we miss them, but they do not miss us. They do not miss us. They do not miss us. No, the grieving is for the ones left behind. They they are perfect. They, they have perfect joy. They have perfect peace. They are made perfect. They are sinless. They, yes, they'll be happy when we're there. They'll rejoice when, when all of the children of God are gathered around the throne, just as we will rejoice. We'll know all things as they are known. We'll see everybody that's there. It'll be the greatest family reunion for all of eternity, forever and ever. Amen. But they don't care about you right now. <laughs> it wouldn't be heaven, right? And that is a phrase, that is a phrase that I do believe. If they could see us, how could that be heaven? They couldn't. You know, and that's the thing that, that's always bothered me. That's it. It's always bothered me. We're sitting there. To, to see a family go through a funeral, that's the worst state that family's ever been in, if you truly love the person that's, that's gone on. And to be me in heaven, to look down and see my family hurting the worst they've ever hurt, that's not heaven. What would that be? How would we describe that? Torture. That would be hell. To, to, it's bad enough to go through it, but to be made perfect... And then have to look down at all this? No. That that's not truth. And, and be crying over all the ones that you know that's not saved. That's it. Yeah. That's saved. it. That brings that brings me a lot of peace to know that the my loved ones that's gone on before can't see me. <laughs> right? I'll see them one day. That's our hope. But also if I go before any of y'all or before my my kids are the ones that I'm going to leave behind one day. That brings me hope that they, I'm not going to know. <laughs> I'm not going to know. I'm going to be with my Lord, and that's, that's my desire. To die is gain for me. I gain my Lord fully. We cannot live this Christian life properly without seeing death properly. The Apostle Paul was clear on his purpose for, to me to live is Christ. That's that's his purpose. His his life from that Damascus road to his beheading to his death is for the world to see Christ. 
right? And as any of us as a Christian, that that is what we do. That is our ultimate calling. However, that plays out throughout ministry or witness or your day-to-day life, whatever, is to point somebody to Christ, either through spoken word, a life lived, whatever it is. Do people see Christ? As you live, do you live for Christ? That, that was Paul's purpose. That should be our purpose. Jesus himself, he's God, right? He's the second in the Trinity. And when that rich young ruler comes up and says, good teacher, now we, when we went through it in Mark, you understand that we understand that the rich young ruler didn't know what good was. He thought he was good. He never broke a commandment, right? But yet he was greedy and he was covetous. And he had other gods in his life, although he had, he had never wronged anybody except for the almighty, thrice holy God, right? So when he comes up and he says to Christ, good teacher, Christ being God and knowing his heart already knew you don't have the same definition of good that God has. So what does he say? He points him to the good. Why do you call me good? Only God in heaven is good. In other words, Here's the right definition. Good is God. Are you God? No. So guess what? You're not good. <laughs> right? But even Christ in his ministry, he always pointed to God. The Holy Ghost in his ministry always points to Christ, who then points to God. It's always going to God the Father. That's what we should do in our life. Everything on this earth is possible. Every single thing. Just Every single thing. So for to me to live is Christ. That's the only purpose that adequately takes into account the reality of death and the fact that it could occur at any moment. In other words, live every day as if it's your last day because what does the Bible say? We're not promised tomorrow. Any one of us could go to sleep tonight and be with our Lord by in the morning. Right? Amen. The person who can truly say, for me to live is Christ, can also then confidently say, for me to die is gain. If you are living for Christ, then death has no sting. It is only gain to us. It is only perfection to us. It's in our death. So, what does all that mean? Right? You know how I like to lay a good foundation and then we talk about it. So, for us to understand what to die as gain is, we have to talk about what it's not. And I only have two points about what it's not. So, to die is gain. What Paul is not saying is it does not mean that a Christian should desire death because he hates life. It's not what Paul is saying. And let's read our text again. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh... This will mean fruitful labor for me. So he is not talking about a horrible life, although he was beaten, stoned, and imprisoned, and beheaded. And to the world standards, he did not live a good life after the Damascus Road. He had a good life, right? To the world standards, he was literally up on a high horse holding. He had the highest prestige there was in the synagogue, going to Damascus to gain more power, more authority. And, and on top of all that, a Roman citizen, so he was a citizen to the empire of the world at that time, and then he gave it all up. 
He gave it all up for this dead prophet who died a horrible death. But he seen him. He was taught by him. And he said, I'm going to live for him because if I live for him, my death is going to be gained to me. So he's not talking about a life. You know, he has such a horrible life that he just wishes he's dead. Okay? That's not what he's saying. Paul, Paul didn't hate life. <laughs> he didn't. He had some very horrible days. And like a lot of the people in this Bible, bouts of depression. Uh, but he didn't hate life. It's really to the contrary. He was filled with joy even though his circumstances were, were difficult. Look just a few verses up at verse 18. He's in prison, okay? And he just got word that people have stood up since he's been in prison and are preaching. Some are preaching to defame Paul. Some are preaching to, to carry on Paul's ministry. And what does he say? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Okay? Paul counted it all joy that Christ was being preached. Even if that person was standing up with wrong intentions, I'm going I'm to show the Philippians that anybody can stand up and preach. It's not just this Apostle Paul. Look, and he would preach the true gospel. And the word would get back to Paul that this person is preaching to show them that you're not the only preacher. And, and Paul goes, praise the Lord. Amen. Christ is being preached. Hallelujah. Praise God. Right? And then he would get word for somebody else, brother so-and-so, that maybe he come to faith under Paul, has, has stood up and he has taken the mantle and he is proclaiming the gospel and, and, and all these things are happening, right? The church is flourishing, the church is going and Paul goes, praise God, hallelujah. I'm in chains, but Christ is being proclaimed. That's a joyful life. It is. To be in bondage physically, but spiritually, never more free. Never more. He lived for Christ. How do we live? He viewed life as sweet fellowship with Christ and, and the joy of serving Christ. From that Damascus road, he was struck to the ground. He's blinded for three days. Christ speaks to him. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The first thing out of his mouth isn't who are you? What is this? He says, Lord, Lord. Who are you, Lord? That was that was God. Whatever that was, that was Paul was about to become a disciple. Whoever's talking to him, that's a change, right? And then the 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 question is then answered. Who are you, Lord? And he says, Yahweh. That's not what he said. He says the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not what he says because Saul was already serving that God. He says, Jesus. Jesus, whom you persecute. <laughs> and Saul goes, oh, oh, you mean Jesus is God. Okay, that's a revelation, right? The same thing we have here. We're, we're preached and we're taught this Jesus of the Bible. And as an unsaved individual, He's a really cool person. He's done a lot of really good things. He said a lot of things. He said a lot of things I like. He says some things I don't like. 
but then comes the regeneration and the faith and the salvation and the sanctification and the Holy Spirit and all of this that we call salvation, right? The package of salvation. And now Christ isn't just a good man. He's God, right? Christ isn't just a good prophet. He's God. Christ isn't just somebody somebody who has shown me the way. He's, he's the one that now leads me in the way. That's what salvation should be, and that's how we should live our entire life. That's what Paul is showing us here. He, he, he didn't wish for death because he hated life. He said it would be really cool if the Lord would come or if I could go to be with him, right? But every day that I'm here, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to continue on. I'm going to run my race. You think of all the things that he said. Hey, I woke up again today, so I guess I don't get to be with my Lord in all of eternity. Maybe tomorrow. Like this is literally the mentality of Paul. Maybe tomorrow, but today I'm going to work for him. Right? Wasn't that he was wishing for death. He was wishing for basically what we would call now God's will. Oh, God, you willed me to wake up today? Is that how we think? God, in your sovereignty, I'm still breathing air, so I'm going to continue to serve you until we see him, whenever that would be. Sometimes, sometimes we lose track of that. We do. So he was not viewing life as tough and death as an escape or, or a relief, although that is what it is. That's not how he viewed death. Sometimes when life is difficult or when a, a person suffers from a chronic painful illness, he, he longs for relief. Paul bled from his eye sockets. Like it was a, he had a, he had a big problem that uh, you read in Corinthians whenever he first comes to them and he preaches the gospel to them. And, and then he's writing him this letter. He says, what happened? You know, when I left you, you, you loved me so much that you were willing to give me your own eyes because of the illness that I, I preached and endured under. And so he, he had an illness and that can be tiresome a lot of the times. It really can be. And some days we even, out of desperation, may even pray, Lord, take me now, right? Live while you can. Live while you're here. Sometimes even godly men get to such a state of depression uh, that they would rather die than live. Moses in Numbers 11. I wish we could go through all of this, but it's just too much. Moses in Numbers 11 had this conversation. Elijah in 1 Kings 19 asked for God to take him. Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 20 asked the same thing. Jonah in Jonah 4 asked the same thing. They all hit low points where they asked God just to, it would be a lot, it would be a lot better if you just took me right now. But over and over and over again, God denied the request. He denied the prayer. Not that he didn't answer. He just said, no, continue on. Moses did die in a fashion to where God takes his life and then buries his body because Moses was a friend to God. It's what the scripture says. Elijah, he did, he, well, no. I had Elisha in my head. Elijah has yet to die. He was taken up in a whirlwind. He didn't die that day, Right? Jeremiah, he was martyred. Jonah, 
I hope Jonah repented before he died because the way he's left in Jonah, it's in a very bad way. I don't know. I hope I see him again. Christians should love life and view it as an opportunity to serve the Lord thankfully. That's, that's how we should view this. Always ever before us, death is going to be a sweet release from this sinful world. But God's will is that that's not my thing now. It's in my future, right? It's, it's there. And, and I'm ever inching closer and closer to it. But don't regret or don't not fulfill what God has for us to do in that time. The second thing that, that to die is gain is not. Uh, Christians should not grieve. Uh, it's not. Let me start over. That's a lot of nots. What to die is gain does not mean, there it is. It doesn't mean that Christians should not grieve over the death of loved ones. We do grieve. Like we said before, we are left behind. The grieving is for us. The sorrow is for us. If you don't grieve the one that is left, you didn't love that person. Right? I mean, just truthfully. But as a Christian, we don't even have that. Because even if that person was the most wicked person that has ever lived in my family or, or, or group of people that I know, I grieve that person. Because if they went off in that state, you can't be a Christian with a, with a godly heart and not grieve the loss of a soul. We grieve no matter what. That's two different griefs, right? There's one that leads to joy, and there's one that just the Lord wipes that out with that last tear of all those who don't make it, right? But we don't get away from grief. We grieve the dead. That's, that's, that's an emotion that God has given us, sorrow, sadness, loneliness. We, we grieve. It's okay, right? It's okay. That's not what Paul is saying here. It's okay to grieve. <clears throat> and until Christ returns, that's what we know. Death is still our enemy. We, we haven't conquered that. Christ has, right? And he will be conquered. That's a hope that we have, but we all rest. Uh, scripture doesn't condemn grieving. In fact, it tells us to weep with those who are, who are weeping. That's Romans 12 and 15. Jesus himself wept with Mary and Martha at Lazarus's tomb and then went and raised Lazarus. Go back and read that passage. That's that he comes to them. They they come to him in their grief. Lord, if you would have just been here, none of this would have happened. And before he goes to the tomb, he he cries with them. Why? He's compassionate. They're grieving the loss of their brother. This is the most realest moment of their life right now, and Christ has compassion on them. And then he teaches. I'm the God of resurrection. I will conquer death. Roll the stone away. But Lord, he stinks. That's not what I said. Roll the stone away. Lazarus come forth. Remove his grave clothes. Right? To the point to where Lazarus is the start. Like the synagogue catches wind that Lazarus is walking around again and they go, we have to kill this guy. We have, we have, to, we have to kill this Christ. This Jesus. He's done raising people. We can't have that. He's showing power that we don't have, right? He's a huge sign to them <laughs> and to us today. It's hope for us, but we still grieve. 
We still grieve. As Christians, we do not grieve those as though we have no hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 We don't grieve the same way that the world does, but we're still sad. We're still sad. The norm is for Christians to grieve, and it is not a sign of weakness, right? Uh, growing up, I know older people, it was it was told, you know, boys don't cry. That's that's false. We cry all the time. We we just don't we just don't get to cry as as openly as as our women folk. So let's let's quickly quickly go over what to die as gain is. So what does it mean? To die is gain means first that a Christian should view death as a means of exalting Christ. So, so we view our death the same way we view our life. It exalts Christ in our death. Why? Because he is ultimately the one in charge of all of this. So we go to our grave, if possible, exalting Christ. And our death exalts Christ. How does that happen? How do I speak from the grave? The life that you have lived speaks. When we go into Thursday and Friday with Brother Big Matt, like Richard Paul calls him, the life that that man had, has lived is going to speak for him. It's his legacy. We stand up Friday in his you googly, his eulogy. We're going to speak good things of the man. That's literally what the word means. In the message that I bring, it's going to be an edification of a saint. Not that he was saintly, that he was perfect, but that he is perfect now. He has crossed over. He was a saved individual. It's a joyous occasion. It, it truly is. Through tears, we will find joy. He speaks for the rest of eternity from the life that he lived. And the life that he lived was one that exalted Christ. That everything that he had in him, did he have bad days? Yeah. Did he have good days? Absolutely. But his purpose was to exalt Christ. Every time that I talked to him, either, either he was having a good day or a bad day, Matt would let you know which one it was, but it wouldn't take long we'd be talking about something of the Bible, something of God, because that's what truly drove him. It, it really did. That's a life that's changed. So it exalts Christ even in our death. Whether he lived or died, Paul aimed to exalt Christ. That's uh, verse 20. Let's read it. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all my boldness Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. That's what Paul is saying there in a very Pauline way. I'm going to exalt Christ in my life, and Christ will be exalted in my death. <clears throat> that was his aim. And by his faithful witness in dying, Paul could bear witness to the hope of the gospel. The time of death for the believer should be a time of bearing witness to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Christians should die well. We shouldn't go kicking and screaming, right? We shouldn't, we shouldn't go regretting 
that this is a this is before us because it is it is our passage into heaven right that's what that's what we know not that we're willing to jump or that it we wouldn't want one more day right but if this is God's will for my life then so be it not my will but your will be done welcome into eternity <laughs> During the last four years of the reign of Bloody Mary in England, uh, at least what we have recorded, I'm sure there was more, 288 people who were burned at the stake because they refused to give up their, their beliefs. They refused to say that Jesus wasn't God or to say that salvation goes by faith and faith alone, through grace and grace alone, uh, and to confess to Mary's Catholicism. These faithful martyrs viewed their death as a means of exalting Christ, and that's exactly what a, a martyr is. That's what a martyr does. The first to die was a pastor named John Rogers. We've, we've talked about these people before. If you remember, last was it last year or the year last year? Uh, he had not been allowed to see his family while he was held in prison. On the way to his execution, his wife and his ten children stood by the road, he was hardly allowed to stop and say farewell. As he marched to the stake, he calmly repeated Psalm 51. He's not, this isn't a man that's facing death in the right way according to the eyes of the world, right? Especially in a death like this where all you have to do is say, I don't believe what I believe, and they would leave you alone. The French ambassador who witnessed the execution wrote that Rogers went to his death as, as if he was walking to his wedding. And in a sense, he was. Being the bride of Christ, he would soon see his bridegroom. To live as Christ, to die as gain. We may not all die a painful martyr's death, praise God. That is a calling of the utmost to give your life for this gospel. But we should view our death as a time to exalt the Savior, both by our attitudes, by our words, then to die, we will gain. The second thing, it means that a Christian's death leads to the return on his investment. We do not live this life like we have a paycheck coming but the Bible does talk about a life lived in Christ what we gain is our eternal reward what we do with our life here equals rewards in heaven it is a return and investment to a sense it's not the more I do the more I get it's the more I'm privileged to do the more God bestows Right? It's always God-given. We understand that. It's nothing that I can do in myself that reaps me rewards, but it's what I do out of my salvation that God bestows upon the ones that he loves. So Paul has counted everything else as loss up to this point. Right? He goes through his I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews, I'm the Pharisee of the Pharisees, I studied at the feet of Gamal, I'm a Roman citizen, all this stuff that he says. He ultimately says, what? I counted all as dung. I counted all as loss. What does he count as gain? His death. Christ. He receives Christ. That's our ultimate reward. I could care less how many stones I have in my crown. I pray every day that 
God allows me to work for him in his kingdom and that I am rewarded. That was, it's, it's, a great, it's a great prayer to have because what it does is it makes you live your life right. <laughs> right? Live your life out before Christ. But the ultimate reward of heaven is that I'm with my Lord. That's what Paul is saying. <clears throat> that one went quick. Number three. To die as gain means that a Christian's death frees him from earthly labors, trials, and temptations. There's no more sin, y'all. There's no more temptation. There's no more trial. There's no more work. There's no more labor. It's eternal rest. It's peace. It's joy. Paul had worked hard and suffered for the cause of Christ. It's recorded for us. We, we read it all the time. Sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, cold, exposure, in, in deep waters, in, in shipwrecks, frequent dangers, beatings, stonings, imprisonments, ultimately beheading. And I doubt that he, he was tired. He didn't do it with, with all vigor always. He was a man, and I'm sure he hurt when he got beat. When he was stoned and left for dead, and the Lord raised him up again, he shook it off, and he went back to preaching, I really don't think that that was Paul's first thought, was to go back in and preach. I think maybe he stopped, and this is me speculation, but I, just me. These people just stoned me. Lord, do I, do I need to go back in there? Because what did, what did Christ say when he sent, sent his disciples out two by two? If they reject you, shake the dust off and, and go on, right? So, of course, Paul would be like, okay, Lord, is this a dust-shaking situation? Something unctioning? He goes, nope. He goes right back to doing the work of God. Because I guarantee Paul is a man if he wouldn't have felt that unction to go back in, he would have just kept on going. That's what I would have done. They don't want to hear what I got to say. They just killed me for that. Right? Let's move on to the next town. But Paul lived for Christ. And he died for Christ as well. Lived in Christ, died in Christ, however you want to say it. But that is what, what that gain is in death. Is it is gaining this eternal rest that we have we have labored for. We've labored for this. To die as gain means that at death a Christian goes immediately, and this is the big one, that's why the last one, to be with Christ. Paul says that when he departs, he will be with Christ. Right? In, in verse 23. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. And what does he say after that? For that is very much better. <laughs> of course that's better, to be with our Lord, right? In 2 Corinthians 5 and 8, Paul teaches, teaches us to be absent from the body is what? To be at home with the Lord, to be at home with Christ. This comforting truth shows that four commonly held ideas about death are in error because they contradict what this scripture would say in 2 Corinthians. So the first one is a soul sleep. Don't know if you've heard of these or not. 
I may be bringing stuff up, but there's a there's a teaching out there that when you die, you you go into soul sleep, and when Christ resurrects the body, He's going to resurrect us all. So so when we put that person in the ground, that the person is there, and they're sleeping. That's false. That would go against what Paul just told us here. That yes, we do bury a body, and yes, there will be a bodily resurrection, but the second you are absent from that body, you are present with the Lord. Period. You're with the Lord. The second doctrine or teaching is the, the teaching of annihilationism. There is no afterlife. When you die, you die. That's false. Paul says when he departs from this world, he's going to be somewhere. That's not annihilationism. That's a continuing of life. The next one would be reincarnation. Paul didn't say, I'm going to be absent from this body and I'm going to come back as a butterfly. Or I'm going to come back as a, 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 an animal or another person. That, this, to be absent from this body is to be present in eternity somewhere. Okay? And the next one, the last one is purgatory. Paul didn't say, I'm going to die when I depart from this world, and if I haven't done enough, then I'm going to go to this place, this, this, this place of waiting to where you can either pay my way in or I can spend enough time in this somewhere in between this, and then I'll be with my Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When we lose a loved one who dies in Christ, that person is with their Lord. It's comfort to me. It is. I would hate to know that whenever I die, y'all going to put me in a box and I'm going to lay in the ground for however long God decides this world to continue on and then I'm going to be with him. That's not rest for me. That's not peace for me. I, he's held me this whole time and then he's going to just leave me there for a minute. That's not what the Bible teaches. We're with him. He calls us to himself. Paul says to depart and be with Christ is very much better. The only way he can say that his soul is going immediately into Christ's presence is to say just that. That's what Paul believed. That's what the Bible teaches. He's where he's going to be accepted on the basis of, of Jesus' shed blood and righteousness. Let's not forget the gospel of this. Why is Paul? Why does Paul believe that he's going to be present with the Lord? Because Christ has bought and paid for him, and he wants him. It'd be like us if I bought a car and then just went and put it in cold storage for 10 years. No, if I buy something, I want it. Right? Same thing with Christ. He's bought us, and he's paid a hefty price for us. He's not going to leave us lie. We're with him. We're with him. He says, remember, it's very much better. It sounds very much better to, to be with God. It sounds really good to me. So during the, block, the Boxer rebel, uh, <clears throat> Rebellion in China, about 100 years ago, uh, a missionary writes in his journal, he came as near to death as anyone uh, could have. He was literally put on the the executioner's block and he he writes and he feels the executioner put the blade across his neck and as the executioner raises his sword to take his head off for some unknown reason the executioner doesn't do it he's able to walk free 
And what he writes next, the missionary told a friend that his first emotion, you think about this, his first emotion when he realized that he wasn't going to die, his first emotion was disappointment. And when the friend asked him why, he said he was disappointed that he would not see his Savior that day. Do we live our life like that? Like, I'm going to do everything you tell me to do, but Lord, when it's my time, I'm ready. I'm ready. Fanny Crosby, you ought to know that name. She wrote like a bazillion hymns. There, she's, she's in every one of our songbooks. Uh, she became blind as a young infant. She said later in life that she would choose blindness over sight any day because the first face she, she would ever see would be that of her Lord's. Do you live your life like that? Lord, I'm willing to do anything you tell me to do. I'm willing to endure anything that you put me through. But I'm, I want to see you. I want to see you. That's how we view death. For a Christian to die is literally gain. We gain that which we do not have here. I have the Spirit of God, but it's not in His fullness. I can't contain the fullness of God. I have the characteristics of God, but it is not in his fullness because I can't bear that in my life. But in death, we do. We become a direct reflection of God in heaven. We reflect his perfectness. That's a good place to stop, I believe. You've been listening to the Learning Curve podcast brought to you by Abundant Grace Church here in DeVille, Louisiana. Uh, we invite you to look at our webpage. It is www.abundantgracechurchonline.com. Uh, there you can find all the different ways that you can uh, be in contact with us. Thank you. Thank you.